Digital Consciousness Radio, where we aspire, we desire, we conspire and delight in the delicious words of human awareness, driving it deep into the hearts of every being, whether it be in our business lives, our personal lives, or even our conscious lives, and perhaps giving you a hmm moment just makes you stop and think about the world that it is that we live in today. Digital Consciousness Radio, digitally enhancing humanity. Hello, all my Digitally Conscious tribe. I hope you're ready for this next uh, DC TV interview. Our last one was with the amazing Barnett Bain, which I'm sure, uh, you know, we got so many thousands and thousands of uh, views from that. People loved it. Uh, and you all have been asking how, when the interview was coming with Dr. Bruce Lipton and, uh, and it, has done, it has happened. And it's like uh, the wee hours of the morning here in Australia. So about 3 a.m. I had to get myself up and, and, and get ready for this interview. But you know what? I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was the most amazing gift to be able to tap into the wonderful energy and brain of someone like Dr. Bruce Lipton. Now, if you guys don't know who he is, go to brucelipton.com and find out. This guy is like a pioneer in the, in, in, in the world of epigenetics and uh, we explain this in the interview um, in a bit more, you know, in, in, in depth. But he basically began his career as a cell biologist and he then went on to then uh, look at how, or, or he, he went on basically to look at the principles of quantum physics and how that might integrate into understanding the cell's uh, information um, processing systems. So what he actually went on to do was to identify that we are not in fact victims of our genes. We are programmed to believe that we are victims of our genes and through genetic determinism that we may end up being susceptible to cancers and uh, you know so he blows all that out of the water uh, through his studies and, uh, and the work that he's done in showing that we are in fact not victims of our genes and that the fact that our our mother or father or someone close to us in our family line might have had cancer that it's actually not directly related to whether or not we get cancer it's all about the perception of our environment and how that changes that changes the the activity in our genes and change can completely reprogram what's going on internally um, so we go into this fascinating discussion and uh, it, it really is um, a joy and a pleasure and the gratitude for me is overwhelming that I've been able to have the joy of interviewing people like him and all the other past interviewees that I've had um, and I can just imagine which ones are coming so it's and, and I couldn't do it without the support of, of my community in digital consciousness the fact that you guys all love this as well is great and like Bruce says knowledge is power and I think that this is what this format's all about is about providing this platform to um, allow you to have access to that knowledge uh, so if you do like this, please share this knowledge around. Please share it out with people and let them know where they can, uh, um, you know, or like or subscribe to what we're doing. And other than that, I'm going to stop talking and pass it on to the amazing Bruce Lipton. Please enjoy this interview and let me know what you think. Okay, peace. Um, so welcome, Bruce Lipton. Uh, it's so wonderful to have you join the digital consciousness community and uh, touch base with us and tell us all about your amazing work that you're doing. I've been a great follower of yours for a long time. And for, for any of my people out there who are seeing our uh, interview here and haven't heard of you, then please do get onto some of the links that I'll be providing below. Um, so my first question comes in two parts. And the yes, let me thank you. I mean, publicly, I have to thank you because you're providing the world with great information that's quite necessary for our evolution. And to me, that's a service that is part of this whole evolutionary uh, upwising, as my dear uh, friend, uh, uh, <laughs> my, my dear friend, uh, the famous uh, Swami Beyondananda, who wrote with me the book Spontaneous Evolution, actually Steve Behrman, quite a comic. So uh, we're going through an upwising I love it, upwising. <laughs> I'm so going to use that. <laughs> um, thank you. Well, thank you for uh, for acknowledging that. I appreciate it. And um, so, so in the in the questions that we've got, so this, I've got two parts to this question. In the in the role of epigenetics, uh, as you explain it, it controls and modulates gene activity. And perhaps for our first time listeners, you could provide a basic understanding of of what that is first. And the second part to this is. Um, given that we tend to live in an age of being, as you say, a victim of our genes and driven by science dogmas that 
tend to pretty much no longer serve us. How have you managed to shift that old th thought paradigm surrounding those old methodologies that our genetic history determines our fate in both the science world and the mainstream world? Okay, let's, uh, part A. <laughs> part A. <laughs> part A. Part A. Um, there's a new science. It's called epigenetics. It was officially named in 1990. And um, before 1990, uh, the conventional science of heredity is just called genetics. It almost sounds the same. And there's a revolution, though. It's a complete revolution, this new science, for the simple reason. When I was in teaching in a medical school and teaching the concept of genetics, also called genetic determinism, that means genes determine the character of your life, not just the physical character, but your behavioral character, your emotional character. So, I mean, there were foolish things like, oh, here's a gene for happiness, and here's a gene for that, and it's like, not really. <laughs> Because uh, we now know from the new science that that belief was totally flawed. And the reason why it's a problem is that almost everybody out there has been programmed with the belief that DNA controls your life, your genes control your life. And I say, well, why is that an important belief? And I go, because it's disempowering. It makes us victims. I said, what do you mean? I say, well, as far as we know, we didn't pick the genes we came with. If we don't like the characteristics we have, you just can't go change your genes. And then you realize the genes are controlling you and you're not controlling them. And all of a sudden you say, oh my God, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of my heredity. There might be cancer running in my family and it's like, oh my God, I could get the cancer gene. I'm going to be a victim of cancer. I'm going to be a victim of Alzheimer's, heart disease, whatever. And I say, well, this is the belief system that genes control life. And since we didn't pick them and since we can't change them, then we realize that we have no control over our lives. Mm. We are victims of that heredity and that disempowers you because the moment you recognize you're a victim about something, you're giving up power. I cannot control this, uh, therefore I must hire somebody else. Uh, and unfortunately, those people we hire, the pharmaceutical industry, have known this for a long time because that's how they create their businesses. Oh, we need them. Uh, and it turns out because, oh, you got these genes, you can't do anything about it. Somebody else will pharmaceutical industry. I go, great. Except about 48 years ago, I was cloning stem cells. And uh, just a very briefly, stem cells are embryonic cells. They're in your body right now. Everybody has stem cells or you will die for a simple reason. Every day, uh, out of the 50 trillion cells that make up a human body, Hundreds of billions of these cells die every day. Normal attrition, aging, damage, whatever. And I go, well, every day, hundreds of billions of cells are lost. And I said, well, how many days can you live mm. if you don't replace those hundreds of billions of cells lost every day? And now you realize, well, geez, you're counting down the days you're going you're gonna to die because you're going to lose all these cells. And I go, oh, well, we don't because every day we replace hundreds of billions of cells. And I say, well, how do we do that? And I said, because in your body, scattered all over are cells called stem cells. Stem cells are another word for embryonic cell. Yeah. So your body is filled with embryonic cells for as long as you live. And that these embryonic cells can replace everything. And what I was doing 48 years ago was I put one stem cell in a Petri dish by itself. This is like an embryonic cell. It would divide every 10 or 12 hours. After a week, there's 50,000 cells in the Petri dish. But the most important fact is they're all genetically identical. They came from the same parent. So I say, I got 50,000 genetically identical cells. Now, here's what I do. I split the cells up into three Petri dishes. So there are genetically identical cells in each dish. But I change the culture medium, the fluid in which I grow the cells. I change the chemistry a little bit in each dish. Mm. So I, that's the environment. So these are living in a different environment. And in one uh, environment, A, the cells form muscle. In another environment, B, the cells form bone. And in a third environment, C, the cells form fat cells. And now you're left with the most profound question of all. What controls the fate of the cells? And you say, well, genes control. I go, no, wait. They all had the same genes, but they all had different fates. The only thing that was different was the environment. And that led me on to a new quest to understand how the environment was controlling genes. And this is at the same time when everyone said genes were controlling everything, genetic determinism, you're a victim, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, no, it's the environment that changes the genetic activity. And I have a, my work was a pioneering work in a new field called epigenetics. So 
everyone out there has been programmed with the belief about genetics, but you really have to understand epigenetics because that's a revolution that changes the world and who we are. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, what's the difference? Well, genetics is the belief that genes control life and the belief that I was teaching, genetic determinism, your life is determined by your genes. That's why you see yourself as a victim because at the moment of birth you were given a set of genes and, and your life is going to unfold from that. And mm -hmm. if they have some cancer gene in it, then it's like, oh my God, I'm going to get cancer or Alzheimer's. So I'm a victim of this heredity. Yeah. And that's what we program. But my research said, wait a minute, the fate of the cell was was changed by changing the chemical composition of the environment. So all of a sudden it said, well, the genes didn't make a decision to come muscle or bone or fat by themselves. They did it in response to environment. And I go, wait, change the environment, change the genetics. Mm. I go, okay, wait a minute. Then all of a sudden it says, as a human, if I change my environment, will I change my genetics? The answer is absolutely, same thing. And here, here's the, the, the funny part, I call it the jokey part. And it goes like this, is that, uh, you look in the mirror, Tanil, you see yourself looking back and you say, yes, I am one living organism. And I go, that is a misperception. This is the truth. You're made out of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living organism. You, by an accurate definition, you're a community. I say, Bruce, that's not one thing. That's 50 trillion cells in a community, a community called Bruce or to community Tanil or whoever you are out there, you have a community of cells. So I say, why is that relevant? Then I say, well, think about it this way. You are a skin-covered Petri dish <laughs> with 50 trillion cells inside. And I go, okay, the culture medium composition controlled the fate of the cells. And I go, yeah, but what's culture medium? Now, here's the fun part. It's based on the composition of the blood. So when I grow rat cells, I make culture medium based on the chemistry of rat blood. When I grow human cells, I put them in an environment, a culture medium based on the chemistry of human blood. Mm. So I say, oh, well, now let's look at it again. In a plastic dish, the culture environment, the culture medium composition controls the fate of the cells. Yes. Then I say, yeah, but you're a skin-covered Petri dish with 50 trillion cells. And I say, well, what controls the fate of your cells? I say, culture medium. Oh, but it's called blood. Oh, the blood, the chemistry of the blood controls my genetics. And then, I'll, then you got to say, well, if the blood chemistry controls life, which it does, then what controls blood chemistry? And then we jump up to the next level. We say the brain is the chemist. I go, okay, cool. The brain is making chemistry that creates the com composition of the blood. I go, yes. Now the last, and this is the best question. So what chemistry should a brain release? I go, ah, it's based on the picture in your mind. Whatever picture is in your mind, the chemistry of the brain will complement that picture. Remember when you were young, you probably uh, played with uh, something called paint by numbers. Mm -hmm. Remember there was like a, a picture and it's got all the little yeah. places with numbers and the numbers you put a certain color in. And then when you fill in all the little color thing, all of a sudden you got this beautiful picture. Okay. Mm -hmm. I go, the brain, this is so fun and simple. The brain is reverse paint by numbers. In other words, it starts with a picture in your yeah. mind, yeah. and then it creates chemistry like paint that matches the picture. You have a negative picture, you get negative chemistry. Mm -hmm. You have a positive picture, you get positive chemistry. Oh, as you change what's going on in your mind, you're changing the brain, and the brain is changing the chemistry, and the chemistry of the culture medium controls the cells, whether the cell is in a plastic dish or a skin dish. Mm. It still responds to the chemistry of the culture medium, in our case, blood. So all of a sudden it says, the mind-body connection is real, and it's very simple and fundamental. The mind creates an image. The brain converts that image into chemistry that complements that picture. And our life then is a complement to the perception in our mind. Mm. All of a sudden it says, if you change your mind, you change the chemistry and you change the fate of the cells. Well, this is a new understanding called epigenetics. I said, well, wait, genetic control simply means control by genes. The new science is called epigenetics. I say, epi, 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 what is epi? Above. Right. Above. So when I say the word epigenetic control, I am saying control above the genes. Ah, the genes are not in control. I said, what's above the gene? I said, the mind. Mm. And that's why it's so important. I say, what's the difference? Genetic control, the belief system that everybody got, I'm a victim, genes control me. New science, revolution, epigenetic control. What does it say? 
my mind and the environment that I live in, the environment and my perception of the environment is what controls my genetics. Mm. And I say, why is that relevant? And the answer is simple. You're the one that can change the environment. You're the one that can change the perception. Relevance, you're not a victim of your genes. You're the creator, master of your biology. If you know this, then you have positive control over your life. If you have no awareness of what we're talking about, and you buy into the belief that genes control your life, well, that's a belief, and that's a chemistry. If I have a belief of a cancer gene, I will then create the chemistry of having cancer. And then I manifest cancer. You go, oh, the gene caused cancer. And I go, first biggest false thing that must be corrected at this moment because almost everybody out there has got the wrong idea, so let's correct it. Most people have heard a gene turned on and a gene turned off. Mm. And I go, oh, that would make sense then how genes can control you, except it is totally false. Genes cannot turn on. Genes cannot turn off. Genes have, in, in, in a big word, no self-actualization. They say, what the heck does that mean? I go, no ability to control itself. I say, what do you mean? Genes can't control themselves? They go, no, they genes are not in control. I say, what's in control? Epigenetics. Above the genes is in control. A gene is a blueprint just like an architect's blueprint for a house. The genes make the building blocks, the physical assembly pieces that come together and create anatomy, mm. cells. You're made out of protein pieces. The genes are the blueprints. And I say, well, that's what they are. I say, exactly, nothing more. I say, what do you mean nothing more? I say, you go into an architect's office. She's working on a blueprint and you lean over her shoulder and you just ask casually, you say, is your blueprint on or off? And she would look at you like, what are you, crazy? There's no on and off to a blueprint. Yes, precisely. There's no on and off to a gene. Mm -hmm. The gene is selected by the contractor. I go, there's something above the gene that selects the blueprint. I go, yeah, the mind is the contractor. The mind sets up the image of what you want to build, and that becomes the contractor that accepts, you know, controls the genetics yeah. to make that image. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, you're creating your life based on your perception and your belief. I go, yeah, if you believe you're going to have cancer, you don't have to have any cancer, Gene. 90% of cancer is not even related to heredity. 90% of cancer are people changing the readout of their gene using epigenetics. Mm. And I go, wait a second, difference? Genetic, a gene is a blueprint and makes a protein, period. Epigenetics, a gene is a blueprint, but as an architect, I can modify the blueprint. Mm. I can cut the blueprint up into pieces and paste it into a different picture. Same blueprint, right? Yeah. Point. Every gene in our body, via epigenetics, which is how you respond to the environment, mm -hmm. every gene in our body can create over 3,000 different versions of proteins from one blueprint by cutting it and pasting it in a different way. And all of a sudden I say, oh, huh, then your genetics are not concrete readout. And I go, absolutely not. You change your genetics just by what's going on in your life right now. So, for example, in San Francisco, there's an internist uh, um, who, who is doing some wonder, wonderful work on, on prostate cancer, okay? Mm. And what did he find out? He split his patients into two groups. One group received conventional medical treatment for prostate cancer. The other group, for 90 days, got no treatment from pharmaceutical. Mm. But the experimental group... They changed their diet, they learned stress reduction techniques, and they learned how to meditate. That's all they did. 90 days after they started that process, no drugs, 500 genes changed function by changing lifestyle, and most of those changes were canceling the cancer. What was the point? The cancer didn't arise from the gene. The cancer arose from the environment surrounding the gene. So I'll give another example because almost everyone knows Anjali Jolie. I mean, that's a name all over the world. Mm -hmm. Anjali says, oh, my God, I have the BRCA1 gene. That's a cancer gene. My mother died of the cancer. My grandmother died of the cancer. <laughs> I don't want to die from the cancer. I'm going to have a double mastectomy. If I have no breast, no cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, then she finds out, of course, as well, that cancer gene also affects the ovaries in the uterus. So now she says, okay, take out the ovaries in the uterus. No organs anymore. Mm -hmm. I will not have the gene. I will not get the cancer. Now I give you a simple fact that's so important to Neil. This is, this is so important. Mm -hmm. Only 50% of the women with the BRCA1 gene get the cancer. 
In other words, when anybody talks about BRCA1 gene, oh, that's cancer, breast cancer, breast cancer, BRCA1, cancer, breast cancer. I go, yeah, but 50% of the women have the gene and they never get the cancer. Mm. What's the first thing you have to answer the question is, does the gene cause cancer? Yes or no? Mm. The answer is no, mm. because 50% can have the gene, never get the cancer. So a gene is correlated with cancer, but a gene does not cause cancer. I said, well, what is the, you know, the basis of cancer? And the answer is lifestyle, stress, anxiety, well, the belief system you operate from. Why? That's where the epigenetics comes in and controls the fate of it. And that's why you could be born with a perfectly healthy set of genes mm -hmm. and through epigenetics making a variation on one of the healthy genes can lead to cancer. Mm -hmm. So you can create cancer from healthy genes. <laughs> and so the idea is this, where did the cancer come from? Not the genes came from first the perception and the belief yeah. and then the genes responded and then I say so what is the major conclusion of all the words this guy just said mm -hmm. <laughs> and the major conclusion is simple how you see the world determines your health your biology your behavior that you've been programmed and if you get out of the program you're free to operate mm -hmm. and when you get out of the program of belief you can create heaven on earth every day of your life and in fact, uh, my book called The Honeymoon Effect really reveals that's what happened when people fall in love. Mm. Uh, their life is, could be just every day, garbage, my life sucks, I don't really care for it. No, you meet this one person and then the next day is like, <laughs> it's heaven on earth. Yeah. Hey, you had a whole life of miserable life. You meet one person, the next day is heaven on earth. What was that all about? And the answer is we now know. That is the first time in your life that you stop running from a program. All of us have been programmed. Mm. The movie, The Matrix, everyone thinks it's a science fiction movie. It's like, yeah. the movie, The <laughs> Matrix is a documentary. Mm. Every one of us has been programmed. You have a choice. You can live with a program, take the blue pill every day, wake up and the program's the same and life is exactly the same. Mm. But in the movie, they said, take the red pill, get out of the program. Yeah. But they never really specify, well, what would happen if you get out of the program? And I can tell you right now, that's what happened when you fell in love. Uh -huh. The first time in your life, you stopped playing the program. Yeah. I said, what was the result of falling in love? Well, the first thing is I became extremely healthy. Almost everybody got healthy. Matter of fact, yeah. look, they must be in love. See how they glow? Mm. Oh, what's that mm. mean? Their health is so vibrant. Why? Falling in love. Great chemistry goes from the brain into the blood. Things like oxygen. Oxytocin, there's bonding chemicals, uh, um, and uh, the endorphins, the pleasure chemicals come in there. Uh, growth hormone is released when you fall in love. And that's all, growth hormone, yeah, vibrant growth. That's why you fell in love. You changed the chemistry of the blood. That changed the genetics and behavior. And all of a sudden, you went from miserable life to, I am extremely healthy. I have so much energy. You know, I joke about that in a lecture. I say, yeah, how much energy? I say, you probably made love for days without stopping food or sleep and they all laugh because they did and then they all realize, yeah, I was healthy and I had tremendous energy and what else was the effect? I said, the effect was that life was so beautiful at that moment mm. that you couldn't wait for the next day to mm. share more of mm. what? Heaven on earth. Yeah. I said, you had hell on earth, you mm. meet somebody, you have heaven on earth. Well, yeah. it happened in minutes. Yeah. What was that? And I say, we now know that, that is the equivalent of taking the red pill. You get out of the program. And the yeah. first time you're out of the program is the first time you start creating life based on wishes and desires. Mm. And a lot of we our programming is is really developed in those first early years of being a child. Is that right? That, that development of that blueprint? Yeah, that we are all programmed between the last trimester of pregnancy and the first seven years of life. Everyone is programmed. Mm. Uh, and there's a very important reason. So let's quickly just go over it because uh, most important, why should I be programmed? The answer is this. I asked you a simple question. How many rules must you learn as a child to become a functional member of a family and a community? And I go, well, thousands of rules. Mm. Meaning what? Mm. How you talk to a child is not the same way you talk to an adult. How you talk to a policeman is not the same way you talk to a regular adult. In other words, oh my God, these different situations, I have to have different knowledge of how to make a response. Yeah. So I said, well, thousands of rules. You need thousands of rules. And I say, okay, here's a two-year-old infant. Sit him down in their little high chair and give him a book and say, read these rules. We need you to become a member of the family. Yeah. <laughs> just, that's never going to happen. So I say nature facilitated this because it made the first seven years of our brain's development, the first seven years of life, 
our brain is responding at a lower EEG frequency, vibrational frequency as measured by wires. And it's performing at a level called theta, which is imagination. And that's why well, kids have imaginary world and they live in both of them at the same time. A tea party with a mud pie is a real tea party with a real pie. Why? Imagination. But theta is also hypnosis. So relevance, the universe makes it easy to learn the rules of civilization because all you have to do as an infant between zero and seven is open your eyes and you will record everything. Mm -hmm. So you record your mother's behavior, your father's behavior, your sibling's behavior, the behavior of your community. And in the first seven years, you learn behavior by what? Not studying it, by recording it like a video camera. So I say the fundamental programs in your subconscious, they didn't come from you. They came from the people you looked at, <laughs> your mother, your father, your family and community. Why? So the fundamental behaviors in subconscious are not your behaviors. It's their behaviors. Yeah. If they have a dysfunctional behavior, then so do you mm. because you copied exactly what they got. And so why is it important? So they give you a reason. You know, I'm talking a lot. You want me to no, stop? No, keep going. This is great. Okay. <laughs> I'll jump in when I need to. But no, you, okay. you, you're well, answering actually let, a lot of my questions. this. <laughs> Consciousness requires database before you can become conscious. I'll give you an example. You go to the Apple store and you buy a new iPod and Mm -hmm. you take it out on the front screen called the touch screen. uh, That's like the conscious mind. It's creative. Push Mm -hmm. play, make playlists, adjust the volume, EQ, wind, rewind. You can control it. Creative. So I say you get a brand new iPod. You take it out of the box and I say push play. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens. And everyone around laughs at you. Why? Well, you can't push play until you download a program. Mm. You can't be conscious mm. unless you have a downloaded program to be conscious of. Mm. Imagine imagine you could speak at the moment you were being born. Just imagine. Yeah. You're coming out of the birth canal. Yeah. You're looking around. Somebody looks down at you and says, tell me something. <laughs> and you look up going, I, I don't know anything. I just got here. Mm. Right. You want to be conscious, you have to have knowledge. So the first seven years is nature's way of downloading programs that then you can use automatically the rest of your life because they're habits now, okay? Mm-hmm. And I go, well, yeah, but nature really intended your parents to be giving you always good lessons. And if, nature, if you get bad lessons from your parents, you download just the same. Mm-hmm. And it turns out 70% or more of the programming we got in that developmental period is not just negative, but it's disempowering and self-sabotaging. So when we engage most of those programs, it's not going to help us. It's going to actually undermine us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we start with a program and it's in the subconscious mind. At around seven, you develop the conscious mind and that's the creative mind, the touchscreen. I can create now. It's like the desktop on your computer. Bring Mm -hmm. things up, open, blend, mix. You can create anything. It's creative. Say, ah, that begins after age seven. And that's the mind that has wishes and desires. So I say, Tennille, tell, tell me what you want from your life. I mean, tell me what you really want. Mm. First thing is this. The answer is going to be created because what you're going to do is look into the future and see something that doesn't exist. And you're going to say, I want this. Mm. I say, oh, if it's a creative answer, then by definition, it came from the conscious mind. Right. Then by definition is this. Your wishes and desires are not part of your subconscious. They're part of your conscious. Mm. Okay. The conscious mind's creative. I can have a wish and I can have a desire. Subconscious is habit. Yeah. And we're <laughs> okay? operating like 5% right. conscious, aren't we? Like yes, yeah, so that's a, people don't know that. And that's the hard part because the part that I left out is that conscious mind can think. And the moment it can think, that means it's not paying attention. So mm-hmm. I ask you right now or any of the listeners on this right now, I say, what are you doing on Monday at 1 o'clock? Mm. If you seriously answer that question, what are you going to do? The first thing is go in your head. Oh, I'm going into my head. Why? In there is a database that says what the hell I'm doing on Monday, and I'll yeah. figure out the answer. I go, yeah, but point. The moment you went into your head, by definition, mm-hmm. you were not paying attention. Yes. You weren't paying attention. Does that mean then when you're thinking, you stop everything you do? I go, no. If you're walking, you can have a thought and you continue walking. If you're driving the car, you can sit and drive in the car and mm. have a thought. I go, yeah, but every time you're thinking, you're not paying attention with your conscious mind because it's busy looking for data or creating or whatever is going on. Mm. So I say, that's 95% of the day. Yeah. And what's the relevance? It says, well, then the creative mind, which has your wishes and desires, mm. is only controlling your life 5% at the most. 
I say, because 95% of the day you're involved with thinking. So therefore, 95% of the day your biology behavior is controlled by default. Mm. It switches to the subconscious. Why? The subconscious knows how to walk. It knows how to drive the car. It knows how to carry out a conversation. Mm. It's just behaviors that are repetitive and they'll play over and over again. Now, here's the issue. This is it. This is the wake-up call. Mm -hmm. And it goes like this. 95% of your behavior comes from the subconscious mind. Mm. Two, the predominant programs in your subconscious mind are disempowering, self-sabotaging. Three, the predominant programs in your subconscious mind didn't come from you. They came from studying other people. Yes. So they're not even your behaviors that you would like. Mm. They're just other people's behaviors. And this comes to the big part. Therefore, when I'm thinking, I'm not paying attention. And when I'm not paying attention, doesn't mean I stop my job, my walk, my driving. Mm. I continue, but I'm now operating by default from the other mind, subconscious mind. So the behaviors that are going to play are not necessarily behaviors that I even want. Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, most of them are negative. And then I say, but because I'm playing them, why am I playing them? Oh, because the conscious mind's not paying attention. Ah! Oh! then the conscious mind doesn't see the behavior you just played. Mm. And so when I give in my lectures and that people laugh because it's so personally familiar, mm. I say, go back in your life. I'm sure you had a friend. You were very close to your friend. You knew their behavior very, very well. Yeah. And you happen to know your friend's parent. And one day it dawns on you. He's like, oh, <laughs> my friend has the same behavior as their parent. You get so excited. You know, you're like, Hey, Bill, you know, you're just like your dad. <laughs> Back away from Bill. <laughs> it's totally ballistic. How can you compare me to my dad? Yeah. And they all laugh. And I go, well, you all laugh because it's so familiar. Yeah. But then I want you to know it's the most profound story in the world. Why? Everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. He's the one that doesn't see it. And I go, what's the relevance? I go, a, he got the behavior in the first seven years downloading his father's behavior. B, he must be playing the behavior because he's not paying attention. C, if he's not paying attention, then he's the one that doesn't see it and everybody else does. And that's why he cannot understand how people can compare him to his dad when his behavior is the exact playback of his dad's behavior. And I say, we are all Bill. Every one of us every day is playing the same program, not seeing the invisible ones, mostly negative, disempowering, self-sabotaging. That means you get up in the morning with wishes and desires, conscious mind. Mm. Today, I, I find my romance. Today, I mm. find health. Mm. Today, I find that best job in the world. Mm. I say, good start. Then you go out into the world. Then you come home at five o'clock and it's like... <laughs> Well, it didn't happen today. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Actually sucked. Today was a bad day. Yeah. And then you say to yourself, I had nothing to do with that. Why? Yeah. Wasn't I the one that wanted to have a good day? Mm. So if I didn't have a good day, it wasn't me because I was the one that wanted to have a good day. Then it must be the universe is against me. <laughs> and therefore, I am a victim of the universe. I want to be successful, I'm not. I want to be healthy, I'm not. Is the universe against me because it's not what I wanted? And I go, ah. Well, you want it operates 5%. Mm. The program operates 95%. Mm. Being that most of those programs are negative and since they're invisible to you, you sabotage yourself all day long to come home and blame the world. Mm. And, and it would make sense. Why? Because since you didn't see you were participating at that level, then you cannot say, oh, yeah, I did. Did you see how bad my behavior was? Actually, every now and then you do see it a very little bit. And so then you go, oh, I was just behaving like my mom. Oh, you know? And the reality is, but that's infrequent and rare. Most of the time the behavior goes unnoticed. And therefore, when our life doesn't work out, we're left to claim victimhood again. Mm. So I say, nope. It's the program. Mm. And you say, you know, how real is that matrix? And I go, listen to this. The Jesuits for 400 years have said, give me a child until it's six or seven. Mm. And it will belong to the church for the rest of its life. Yeah. I say, people have heard that. And people say, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. I say, you don't understand. Listen mm -hmm. for a second of what they are telling you. What they're mm -hmm. telling you is this. If I get your first seven years of education, I own the rest of your life. Yeah. Regardless, you want to go to church or not, you will end up at the church. Why? Because I programmed you. And I go, huh, mm -hmm. how long have you been knowing that? 400 years. Yeah. I go, 
Do you think that little notion of controlling people's lives by programming them for seven years just got lost? And mm. I go, are you kidding me? Mm. The programming is better today than it was in the past. We are all programmed. Yeah. And the only time you get out of that program naturally is by taking the red pill. Mm. And I say, what's taking the red pill? I say, falling in love. Mm. I say, the moment you fell in love, didn't you? It was like magic. Your life changed. Yeah. I go, the only magic it was, it was the first time in your life you did not default mm. to the negative programs. And I say, without going into the program, taking the red pill, you're not doing the program. What happened? Heaven on earth. Yeah. I go, that was your original mission intention. And that can be acquired. So how in practical terms for people, how do we how do we you know, what are some of the practical steps that people can take to start, I suppose, reprogramming their subconscious? Okay, now the first and most important thing is this to recognize when we say the word mind, we've always always made it like a one. There's mm -hmm. a one thing called the mind. I go, No, no. The mind is two things. Yeah. Separate, interdependent. They work together, but they're separate. They have different functions. And they learn in different ways. And that's where the problem comes from. Mm. Conscious mind, subconscious mind. I say, what's a subconscious mind? I say, that's your original brain. And I say, what is it? It's like a habit mind. It's a stimulus uh, response. Push the button and kick the leg. You know, it's just stimulus response. Habits, no thinking. Behavior that is programmed. Walking. Mm. You don't have to think about walking. You did when you first learned, but now it's a habit. Mm. All you have to do is have the intention. I want to go over there. You don't, you don't even have to say, let's walk. Mm. It will do it. It controls it. Subconscious habit. Okay? So I say subconscious mind, habit, learned programs. Yeah. I say conscious mind, creative. Ah. Uh, and, uh, and it has wishes and desires in it. And that's you. That's mm -hmm. the seed of your personal identity, your spirit. That's where the conscious mind, you are, conscious mind. Mm -hmm. So I go, okay, two minds. Conscious mind, creative. Subconscious mind, habitual. Okay? Good. Function-wise, if you want to teach the conscious mind anything, how can you teach us? Well, it's creative. Read a self-help book. Go, mm -hmm. to go to a lecture. Watch a video. Watch this program we're doing right now. Mm. Say, why is it relevant? Because your conscious mind can learn from just observing and participating and say, oh, my God, I read the self-help book. I, I say, how do you know? You know what I say? I give you a quiz. You get 100. I say, okay, you know mm. the contents of the self-help book. And then I ask most people, now that you've read the book, has your life changed? And most people say, no, nah, it's still pretty much the same life. And I go, what, you educated your conscious mind? Why? Here's the test. Oh, you got 100. You know all the rules. Yeah. I say, how come your life doesn't match? And I say, because the conscious mind can learn uh, by creative ways, just by, yeah. you know, as I said, listening to a lecture or just even going, aha, yeah. the subconscious mind can learn something new. The conscious mind is the habit mind. Habits are resistant to change. You don't want your habits to change. Mm. You learned how to walk when you were an infant. You never in your whole life ever had to go back to learn how to do that again, mm. unless you broke your legs. Yeah. Uh, but if you haven't broken them, there's a pattern built in. It's a habit. You can walk. No thinking. No thought. Push button. Just a mm. thought. Boom, you go. Okay? So the habit mind does not want to change once it learns a habit because if it learned it, that's important for me. Mm. So I say, oh, yeah, but if you want to change it, can you change it? And I go, yes, but not the same way the conscious mind learned creatively. The habit mind only learns in three fundamental ways. Actually, four, but here are three. Mm. One, how did you learn the first seven years? And I say, your brain was in a state of hypnosis, theta, low vibrational frequency. And I say every night when you go to sleep between awake, which is high vibration, and sleep, which is the lowest vibration, your brain automatically goes through theta, just as mm. you're passing out. Mm. I go, good. Put earphones on. Listen to a, a, a program yeah. with beliefs that you like. And I say, why? Because every night when you hear that program, it's not going in your conscious mind. That's sleeping. Yeah. It's going in subconscious mind mm. programs. Yeah. You can reprogram subconscious subliminal tape. Yeah. Two. Well, that only worked for seven years. Then how did the subconscious mind learn anything after that? I said, well, around that time, it begins to learn by habit, repetition. You learned ABCs. How did you learn ABCs? Well, you didn't go from A to Z in the first round. Mm. <laughs> you, you had to go A, B, C, D, get to a certain point, go, oh, 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 what's the next one? F, oh, F, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, G, and repeat it again. <laughs> Every yeah. time you repeat it, every time you repeat it, you get the basic down. Then you get longer and deeper and deeper. And then you get the Z. And I say, now that you got from A to Z, do you need to do any more? Never again. Mm -hmm. 
with the alphabet, just pull it up. You'll probably go through the whole cycle you did anyway, the way you learned it. Oh, yeah, M and P, Q, R. Mm. Yeah, you know, and I go, okay, so you got a habit. That's great. You don't want to lose that habit. Mm. But how'd you get it? I repeated it. Mm. You learned how to drive a car. How'd you learn that? I practiced it. Mm. Ah, so habits are taking a behavior and repetition. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, you want to change a behavior, then engage a new behavior and repeat it every day intentionally. And after a short period of time, you'll be able to repeat it without even thinking about it. It'll become automatic at that Mm -hmm. point. I say, oh, now you got to have it. Okay, so the second way of learning is habituation. The third way of learning, oh, this is a short, I'll, I'll give the short one because it's not controllable. You can learn by having a shock in your life. Just one big shock goes, <gasps> and you'll never do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can't control that because I can't tell you what's that shock and what mm-hmm. it is. I can't do that. So I, I say you can happen that way, but mm. not controllable. Mm. Controllable, first uh, way, hypnosis, auto-hypnosis. Second, repetition of a habitual pattern. Third, and most important because of the need for change and the speed that it offers is called energy psychology. Mm-hmm. There's a whole group of modalities that put you in a state of super learning, meaning you can download a new behavior within 10 minutes. You could have a behavior that's been ruining your life for 50 years, and in 10 minutes with this kind of process, you can rewrite the behavior and walk away a new person. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what we need now. Because it's time for us to say rapidly, it's time to change our beliefs and habits are good to create and they take a period of time and auto subliminal tapes time. But Mm -hmm. some of the energy psychology processes are very, very rapid minutes and make a change because the idea is this. All the bottom line comes down to is this. Your life is controlled by your subconscious. Mm -hmm. You say it was programmed in the first seven years. I go, yes. And then you say, but... Do I know what the programs are? And you say, well, should I go to a psychologist or a shrink and figure out what my programs are? I go, no, guess what? We save you a lot of time. <laughs> 95% of your life is a printout of your subconscious. So by definition, your life is, is reading your subconscious program. And I said, what does that mean? I said, well, look at your life. Mm. Anything you like that comes into your life that you like and it's there. It's like, great. I'm so happy with this. I go, you have a program that allows that to be there. In contrast, and this is the critical one, anything you struggle for, anything you put an effort into, Mm. anything you sweat over, Mm. you're working hard. I'm asking you, why are you working so hard to get to that destination? And I'll give you the answer. Almost inevitably, your program doesn't support that destination. Mm. So now you know. My program doesn't support relationship. Why? I've been looking for relationships all my life. I can't find one. Mm. It's like, oh, but the problem outdoors it was that invisible behavior you didn't see that sabotages your relationship stuff and then you don't see it but you blame the world for not finding it mm-hmm. and it turns out no it's behavior if you change the behavior to create uh, you know behavior that supports relationship then you'll find the relationship as simple as that mm-hmm. uh, the prostate cancer patients they, they just change stress technique uh, meditation technique they yeah. change 500 genes yeah, and nice. I'm trying to give you an understanding mm. your, your life is plastic Mm-hmm. and moldable, shapeable yeah. by your beliefs. Mm-hmm. If you believe you're a victim, you become a victim. Mm-hmm. If you believe you're a master, you can become a master. Mm-hmm. And most of our beliefs have been programmed to take away our power. Yeah. So we have been systematically disempowered by the program. Mm-hmm. And if you can rewrite the program, here's the conclusion that comes like, well, the beautiful part, and I personally could say, this is not just an idea. I had to rewrite my program and I ended up with this conclusion. Yeah. And that is this. If you rewrite the negative programs that disempower you and put in their place alternate programs of wishes and desires mm-hmm. that you want, mm-hmm. then you can still default to the subconscious mind. No problem. But this time, instead of playing the negative behaviors you got from somebody else, you begin to play the positive behaviors that you want. And mm-hmm. what's the point? Well, if you put in all the same programs of your wishes and desires that your conscious mind has and put those as programs in the subconscious mind, whether you're paying attention or whether you're not paying attention, Mm. you'll still find heaven on earth Mm. because the subconscious will lead you there anyway, even if you're not paying attention. Mm. So let's take power back and and reprogram because power is in the program. 
That's right. And it's in, in your um, book, we were talk, you know, talking about the honeymoon effect and in relationships and how that relates with, with, with the, you know, the world of epigenetics. And in, the, in that area, you've talked about sort of, um, you know, where there's constructive interference and destructive interference and, and simply more simply known as good vibes and bad vibes. Yes. But how do we know the difference, say, between the vibes or some conditional subconscious thing patterning? So we might meet someone, yes. initially feel a good vibe, and then it turns out yeah. that vibe was wrong is it like our vibometer that's gone off or is it a subconscious patterning that we just haven't been okay. consciously aware of you ready for this it's yeah. how simple this is ready yeah did the answer come from your head or from your heart mm. why the heart reads vibration the head reads pictures stories interpretations yeah. okay the heart just reads what's the vibration is it in harmony with me or not in harmony with me? is it good vibes or bad vibes it's all i really want to know if it's bad vibes it's trying to say don't do it mm. if it's good vibes it said this is in harmony with you go for it okay yeah. the head is a problem for this reason maybe you remember most people might remember taking a math class mm. and it was one of those classes where you get a long equation and the job is to reduce the equation to smaller and smaller and smaller just reduce it I say that's the equation where you put the big equation on the top of the page and you go step by step by step by step and you get to the bottom of the page and you get the answer a small equation. Mm. I go, well, here's the interesting part. How many steps? Let's say we took 10 steps yeah. from the top to the bottom. I go, great. Every step is a piece of knowledge of learning. I said, great. I say, you make one stinking little error in one of the 10 steps, the answer is wrong. Mm. Just takes one error of perception and the whole bottom line is wrong. I say, so the difference is this. When you judge what you want to do strictly through your mind, you're doing rational thinking, reading the equation, doing the next step, adjusting to your belief about that, the belief about this, the belief about that. And I say, one misperception, one misbelief. Mm. And the, the answer you came with at the bottom of the line was like, not necessarily right at all. Mm. I go, and what about the heart? doesn't go step by step. It just reads, what's the energy? Is this energy at the end stronger or weaker than when I started? Yeah. If it's stronger energy, that means more life. Energy is life, remember? Mm. remember? Energy is life. No energy, no life. Yeah. Speed kills. Why? It uses up all the energy and then you die. And I go, yeah, that's exactly right. And I go, so what are vibes for? It's the gauge, the one gauge on your human dashboard. And it says, should you go this way or should you not go this way? Mm. And the idea about vibes is you just read the vibe. And if the vibe is higher, good vibes, constructive interference, that means you've got more energy. Mm. Well, that means whatever that you were thinking about adds energy. I say, why is that relevant? Energy is life. You keep going toward good vibes, you keep increasing your life. Mm. If you start getting bad vibes, what? Cancellation of energy. I say, well, then in bad vibes, they keep increasing. Well, I say, it takes away your life. Yeah. So the whole idea is this. Do I need to know the details? I go, no, I just need to know what is my vibe. Yeah. What do I feel about doing this? Give me, don't give me the details. Give me the vibe if I go this way or I go that way. Mm. And therefore, if you answer the question primarily from your heart, mm. you get a more accurate interpretation than if you say, no, I'm going to rationalize and think every piece out. And I say, yeah, but it's just one mistake in that rationalization. Answer's not right. And that would have to you have to ask yourself, are all my perceptions and attitudes and beliefs right? And I go, yeah. No. <laughs> but right. Therefore, you have to recognize irrational thinking is fraught with introducing errors, which will take you away from the truth. And heart thinking yeah. uh, will uh, uh, actually just give you the vibration. Mm. And, and I suppose that takes a bit of practice, doesn't it? The heart thinking. Because sometimes yes. you, sometimes you think your heart's thinking. And then you go, hang on, is that my heart or is that my head? I don't know. Which yeah. one is it? <laughs> well, this, is, this is a problem because if you go back, most of us in that developmental programming of seven years acquired a belief that we shouldn't go by our feelings, but we should listen to what people say. Mm. And I go, that was the biggest problem of all. Yeah. Because if we learn to go by our feelings, we would have the radar of whether you even want to talk to this person or not, because you can feel their vibe before you even communicate with them. Mm. Uh, is their vibe in harmony with you? If it is, oh, then you feel good vibes when you're around them. Mm. But if you feel a little bit, eh, you know, my energy is a little bit flaky. Yeah. And I say, well, then keep away from that, because right away that's telling you your energy is being canceled. Mm. Now, we were programmed not to pay attention to that trait. And I go... Well, traits are like use it or lose it. Everything in your body is use it or lose it. Mm. If you don't use the trait of feeling a vibe and interpreting a vibe, 
it doesn't mean you're not getting a vibe, but it means that even if you're getting it, you're not going to use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that, the intention, that as you said, doesn't take a, practice. Yeah, yeah, it takes practice. practice. Reprogramming that as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so in your work, you said as well in the in, the, um, uh, in our in our makeup. So there's twenty two thousand genes in the human. Genome. Nineteen now. It's 19. down to nineteen. Oh, okay. There you go. I wonder what that even was less. for. <laughs> why does, Why do you think it went from twenty two to nineteen? Because they were all based on estimates, and 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 it was finer and finer measurements that oh, resolved technology. whether it was an estimate or whether it was real. Yeah, yeah, okay. So nineteen thousand, there you go, um, in the human genome, accounting for less than say three percent of the DNA. And now we've been yes. told by scientists that this um, remaining ninety-seven uh, percent is um, junk, <laughs> junk DNA ah. with no real purpose. Do you, oh my is, God! The most important purpose of all. Yeah. Do you think that this is a convenient method of a bunch of scientists that just couldn't be bothered finding the answer because perhaps it wasn't financially lucrative? And do you think that this is the exact issue or the main reason why we have a systemic issue in the scientific research that tends to be driven by that global system funded by large pharmaceutical companies versus with a profit agenda versus the interest of the people? That's a belief system. Mm. So this becomes a very big belief system. So I'll just give you a very interesting fact. And when a person does research, they select the data based on what they're looking for. Mm. And the British Journal of Medicine, what they showed was that if the same research was carried out by public money mm -hmm. or whether it was carried out by pharmaceutical money, it found there was a difference in the results. When the money came from pharmaceutical industry, the results favored the pharmaceutical industry four times more. Wow. The results were just studied by government, you know, public money. Yeah. Basically, it says that there's an internal bias. It's not an intention that I want to cheat, but if I'm looking for something to support my funding agency, then I want the data that when I put it down, looks like they're really good. Mm. I select that data. Conflict, conflicting data, I'm not interested in. Mm. It doesn't help. Mm. So, there's a selection of data. Uh, and this becomes very important because if the pharmaceutical industry is controlling research, which it does, then it says it's really controlling research to support itself, not us. Mm. And it's a big error when people think, oh, the pharmaceutical industry is out there to help us. And I go, are you kidding me? Pharmaceutical industry is out there to help themselves. They don't mm. care about us. They care about how much money they make. Yeah. And if they heal you, they lose money. Mm. So they actually... And I know from my interaction with many pharmaceutical executives over the last number of years, they actually have some very, very effective drugs in their arsenal, but they're not released to the public. Why? If I sell you the drug once and then you don't need me anymore, we lost the connection. Mm -hmm. But if I sell you a drug that can help you but not get you there, then you're going to need that drug every day of the rest of your life. Now you're my friend forever. Why? Because I have a prescription that you have to refill yeah. every every week, every month. So that, that becomes very critical in that regard. So we have to be really careful about uh, the science and the truths that we buy because since the science and truth create the character of our lives, the question is, are you looking at accurate science or are you looking at adjusted science? And interesting, something I just heard recently, because I even use the Wikipedia a lot, mm -hmm. uh, I started to find out that the pharmaceutical industries hire full-time staff yep. to read Wikipedia. Astro -turfing, when, I think it's called. What do they call it? Astroturfing is the term that they use, where they hire exactly what you're saying, where they hire people to manipulate what's out in the web. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you buy that as truth, and then you use that truth and create your life from it. And I say, well, if it's a truth that disempowers you, well, you just lost your power. And the whole mm -hmm. idea about it is governments do not want us to be powerful because powerful populations are difficult to control. Mm -hmm. It was interesting. There was a... A movie, uh, let's see, called it was uh, the uh, Michael Moore movie, uh, Sicko, mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. the health industry. And what was interesting about it for me was there was an excerpt of an interview with a British parliamentarian by the name of Tony Benn, a very liberal member of parliament. And he just came straight in front of the camera and said, Governments do not want a healthy, intelligent population because they are difficult to control. Mm -hmm. And I live in this country 70 years now. And I can tell you, when I was a kid, this country was totally different. And I look at this country today and I said, oh, my God, Tony Benn was right. They succeeded. We are now, as a nation, the United States, the sickest nation of the big nations of the world, and now one of the most stupid nations in the big world. And I go, yeah, but that was the destination. <laughs> That's what they wanted, and look yeah. what we got. Yeah. So it's the idea is our evolution in front of us is to let go 
and re-empower ourselves. And re-empowering ourselves is the stuff that you're offering to your mm -hmm. community right now, the thing I'm offering to your community as well. And that is, if you understand how this biology works, you can become the master mm -hmm. and creator. And if you don't understand how it works, then you're a slave. And you will pay anybody who is, you know, telling you you need to pay them. Whether you pay the church money to say, listen, connect me with God. Mm. And when you understand the nature of the science, what do you mean connect you with God? You're already connected with God. You can never have been disconnected with God no matter what the hell you did anyway. Yeah. So the idea that you have to pay somebody is like, okay. <laughs> Okay. And then the new church, you know, the old church, they, the, the, uh, uh, the doctors wore black coats. And today the new church, the doctors wear white coats. Same <laughs> people. They're just telling you today that your health is not in your hands. It's out of your control. Pay us. We will get that to you. And I'm going, in both cases, you had spirituality and you have health. It's an inherent ability to control. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you lose the knowledge of that... You lose the power. Why? Yeah. Knowledge is power. Yeah. And and you have a lack of knowledge. And by definition, means that the population is affected by a lack of power. Mm. And this is new knowledge. And this knowledge is important because this is the knowledge of empowerment. Mm. This is knowledge said, you're not a victim other than the belief of being a victim. Yeah. Change that belief and your world will change instantly. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the story I, I recently... Um uh, read and sort of uh, looked into the life of uh, Royal Raymond Rife. So he was the man who you may be familiar with that did the high frequency energies controlled by electric machinery. And then he yes. used that to alter the pathogens of, of the environment. So basically using high frequency sound to repair cells. And he was presented in his day with 16 terminal cancer victims of which he um, was able to cure, um, I think the first 16 in like 70 days and then the other two took 20 days longer. Um, but not long after that, he got heavily suppressed by the medical mafia because it was he got, this, this he got eliminated, yeah. eliminated. Yeah. And his yeah. research got eliminated. It did. Why? Yeah. It is not support the, the financial interests of the existing system. Mm. And you say, you mean pharmaceutical companies, uh, you know, as I said, have powerful drugs and they won't use them? I say, no, because if they sell you that drug, they're not going to make any money from it. Even this extent, the pharmaceutical industry and testing drugs find out about so-called side effects. And I would just want you to know they're not side effects. Everything mm. they write about is a direct effect. It's mm. not a side effect, not yeah. an accident. That is a consequence of taking the drug. Uh, and they find out one of the side effects is death. And you think, oh my God, then we should never really release that drug. And then you, I go, yeah, but now let's face the real world. The pharmaceutical industry does a, a, a calculation. Mm -hmm. How many people are going to die from taking the drug? How much will they get sued for and how much will they owe? Then they look at how much can you sell the drug for? How much of it will be sold? How much money we're going to make? Mm -hmm. And if the lawsuits are much lower than the profit gain, then you sell, you sell the drug and you pay the lawsuit, no problem. Why? We're still going to make a profit. So they'll sell the drug with the knowledge that this drug is going to kill people. Mm. And it's like, so, uh, you know, our belief system is they're our friends. And I go, no, no, they're, they're friends for themselves. Mm. <laughs> We're not part of that community. And it's such a huge, um, it's such a huge thing, isn't it? Because it's it can be seen as quite overwhelming from an individual point of view to think, wow, you know, that it's a massive society issue. But I suppose the baby steps are doing things like what you're saying, you know, like getting the knowledge and starting to learn, um, I suppose, information outside of the for-profit agenda that, that's around there. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. But do you think that our um, viable path, pathway to survival is, is also not to abandon our ancestral um, wisdom of humanity? You know, how, how do we use that to sort of guide our actions and decisions in today's modern world? Um, for example, you see a lot at the moment, or I've seen a lot at the moment with, you know, um, tapping into those and that, that ancestral wisdom known as plant medicines and people are using ceremonial medicine and they're all like funneling to these places to get to these higher states of consciousness. But how do you think that plays a role in today's modern society? Well, the, the answer is this, is that the newest science is actually supporting the ancient wisdom. Mm. Uh, and so I for quantum physics, and I say, for example, there's a very, in quantum physics, the difference between Newtonian and quantum physics is Newtonian physics, the world is a physical mechanical machine that we are made out of atoms and they're physical nuts and bolts and they hold us all together. Mm -hmm. And that if you want to affect a human, you don't go to energy. Energy is a different realm. So the physical body being physical can only be influenced by physical things called drugs, yeah. physical things. Yeah. 
And I said, what about energy? And they say, no, no, in Newtonian physics, energy doesn't affect matter. And I go, okay. And I say, what about quantum physics? And I go, oh, the world changes, revolution. Mm -hmm. Why? Because what we thought were physical things, atoms, when you take a look at what are the, what's the composition that makes an atom, and it turns out it's energy vortices, little nano-tornadoes of energy. It's nothing physical. Yeah. So I say, an atom's not physical. No, it's energy. And I say, why is it relevant? Because everything in the universe is made out of energy, so therefore, the invisible energy spectrum can interact with the atomic energy spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so, all of a sudden, energy and matter are one and the same. Now, let's just make a jump here. And I say, in quantum physics, what did they refer to the energy uh, aquarium in which you're sitting right now, meaning where you are right now. There are telephone broadcasts going through, radio broadcasts, television broadcasts. The solar energy is sending information. You're, all kinds of energy. You're mixed in there. Uh, and I say, well, what does science call that? And I say it's called the field, mm. the energy field. I say, what's the definition of the word field? You ready? Invisible moving forces that influence the physical world. Mm. Yeah. How powerful is the field? Listen to this one quote. Einstein, the field is the sole governing agency of the particle. You go, what does that mean? I say, field is energy, yeah. particle is matter. Let's read it again. The energy is the sole governing agency of matter. And I go, ah. Oh. And I say, oh, so uh, the field, invisible moving forces, influences the physical world is the definition. I go, yeah, now here comes the fun part. What's the definition of spirit? Mm. Oh. Invisible moving forces that influence the physical world. I go, ha! Quantum <laughs> physics is providing a scientific interpretation that was underneath spirituality, but spirituality had no scientific foundation. Mm -hmm. It was an observation to some degree with no connection. But now, guess what? Science, quantum physics comes in and says, ah, that invisible energy field is what's shaping the physical world. Mm -hmm. Spirit. And all of a sudden, goes, guess what? Quantum physics says that the concept of spirituality is not just a you know an ancient idea, but it is wisdom mm. that is useful in today's modern world for a very simple reason, is because that concept of spirituality is scientifically connected to what is called the field, and the field is scientifically understood to be the controlling factor of life, and so spirituality controls life, and it goes, yeah. That's quantum physics, all right. Mm -hmm. When the public becomes aware of this as a reality yeah. and separates itself from the Newtonian vision of a material world separate from an energetic world, that what mm -hmm. disconnects us. Mm -hmm. Now we find quantum physics reconnects us. And it says that this information has been delayed in going to the public. Yeah. And the public is familiar and bathed in Newtonian awareness, physical mechanism, solid, give me matter. My mission on earth is to acquire matter, yeah. money, yeah. things. And I go, yeah, in a Newtonian world, that might be important. But in a quantum world, energy is important. I say, what's energy? Feelings, mm. emotions, mm. attitudes, beliefs. And I go, oh, these are much more important than matter. I go, yeah. Mm. And once we start to recognize that, then if our lives are run by our energy and our beliefs and our emotions rather than give me more money yeah then there's a whole change of how we live on this planet and a return mm. to a spiritual world of you're an energy and i'm an energy and we must learn that harmony and resonance is where answers come from not competition Beautiful. <laughs> now, okay, I'll finish on, I'll wrap up on what I'd normally do with all my wonderful um, um, people that I get the joy to connect with, like yourself, is that I ask them the question of what they feel it means to be digitally conscious. Because in my world, the why, why I brought together digital consciousness was, it's for me, it's a physical manifestation in a way that we can compute to see that we're actually all con connected. Um, above and beyond the, the five sense modalities of the world that we live in. So, Bruce Lipton, what do you think it, is, it means to be digital, digitally conscious? Well, to me, what it really means is that you're not operating from programs, mm -hmm. that you're operating from awareness at the moment, at the time, and therefore you're flexible and plastic enough to see the world and adapt to the world very, very quickly. If you have rigid beliefs, you can't adapt. Yeah. And when you can't adapt, the, the rigidity and the resistance of things is what causes stress mm. and stress is responsible for 90% or more of the illness on this planet. Mm. <laughs> and so basically if you become conscious, what does it mean? You free yourself, you liberate yourself from an imprisonment, a, a belief imprisonment 
and you are free to create uh, and manifest wishes and desires and that is the destination for me it's most exciting because if from a scientific point of view from a guy who wasn't spiritual but who learned about it through the cells the cells reveal this to me uh, i want to conclude with this what i think is the most you know blow a cosmic joke yeah that is there's a belief that if we live our lives very well, live our place of morality, we'll die and we're going to go to this other place called heaven. I want to make another suggestion because it's kind of cool. Consider the fact that you might have been born into heaven. Yeah. That this is heaven. <laughs> I said, what do you mean this is heaven? It looks like hell. I go, well, that's because you bought into other people's belief system and creating what they want. But I said, the moment you fell in love, what did you create? Heaven on earth. Mm. I said, what if 7 billion people were falling in love? Then it'd be heaven on earth. I said, not a coincidence. It, it is heaven. Why? It's a place of creativity. Yeah. It's a place of experience <laughs> and you come here to create yeah. and you can create the problems that we have <laughs> or in contrast, you can create the love, the beauty, the happiness of being alive and, and, and breathing the air and smelling the flowers and feeling love. Spirit can't feel love. Bodies feel love. Mm. Mm. Spirit can take the interpretation of the body, but there's no mechanism in a spirit physically to convert this world into a sensation this is what the body does so a spirit does not have the ability to have the direct sensation it can have a mentation but mm. not a direct experience mm. you want a direct experience then you have to come into the body then you can move this thing around and create life and experience and taste and touch and smell and feel and do all those things you cannot do that without a body so all of a sudden i say then the body is an enhancement to spirit. I go, absolutely. It's not, yeah. it, it, you step into this body and you can feel love. My God, mm. you can imagine love, but you cannot feel it as a spirit because there's no yeah. physical sensation to manifest in that energy. Mm. So then if I say, if that's what we're here for, then I say, well, guess what? Once you learn how to take back power over your life, once you learn how to do that and rewrite the programs that have taken you away from it, you have done it in the past and you can do it every day of your life. You can manifest heaven, mm. a joy, a health, a happiness, an experience that is so overwhelming that you, you just don't want to ever go to sleep because <laughs> it is way beautiful. And that's what, uh, that's what I'd like to see people understand. Mm. I've touched it. I live there. Yeah. And I didn't live there, but I put it in with a knowledge, so knowledge was power. Mm -hmm. And with that knowledge of controlling my life, I've created something quite wonderful. Mm, it's very inspiring. <laughs> it's wonderful. And so if people want to, um, I'm sure that most people are probably sitting on the edge of their seat right now, uh, holding on to each of your words that you're saying. Um, so if they want to know more about um, getting in contact with your work, um, you know, I'll be putting the links below, but um, perhaps you could share the best way for them to get uh, get hold of you. It's so easy, darling. It's <laughs> so easy. It's just at brucelipton.com, yep. and there you are. And there are lots of resources, uh, written articles, uh, video interviews. Yep. Uh, I'm, a I'm a member, so I can totally vouch for it. It is great content, so it's okay. fantastic. There, there's your resource. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Well, thanks so much for um, making the time and the space to be able to share uh, a window into um, your your amazing mind uh, with our with our audience. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I so appreciate it because as I said it's really getting the information out because as those around me start to create heaven on earth, I have my own thing going. Mm. But if those around me start to create it, then there's no the negative world that people see will not come to you. You'd be surrounded by too much good vibes yeah. to experience yeah. it. So yeah. everyone out there. I'm really hoping you understand this because when you create heaven for yourself, it adds to my heaven. Thank yeah, you. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs>